You can't take another 25 bips off the cards because I think some of the Fed people think that we, even at 3.8% unemployment, that's still too low to get base wage growth down. But wage growth is moderating, employment costs are moderating. And I think on balance 60-40 that Fed funds rates have peaked and are likely to you know, stay where they are up until maybe Q2. But at that point, the Fed will probably have over-tightened. That's Richard Barkham. He's the Global Chief Economist and Global Head of Research at Brokerage CBRE. I'm Miriam Hall, and on this episode of BizNow Reports, Richard is my guest. He's on the show to discuss the outlook for commercial real estate as we move rapidly towards 2024. This year has been one of surprises in many respects. Despite dire warnings of recessions that were coming out in 2022, that's yet to happen. A testament, Richard says, to the resilience of the US economy. CBRE itself has moderated its recession call, but it's not all rosy. Growth is expected to be weaker in the last three months of the year. Richard speaking here about why a recession is not off the cards. He's also talking over his prediction for interest rates. He's discussing distress in offers and the impressive turnaround that retail has made. I think you're right to say the US has been surprisingly resilient. So we've had to ask ourselves the question, why has that been? And I think, you know, there were some unexpected effects, perhaps, and some perhaps that we ought to have seen a bit more clearly. I think the the impact of the the CHIPS Act and the IRA Act in boosting manufacturing construction activity has been very pivotal in holding up the construction sector. And normally that's the first sector to go when rates rise. And if you go back to the great financial crisis, there was a big drop in construction almost overnight. That just hasn't happened. Um, I think uh, uh, as well as that, you've got... um, I think I would say very prompt action on the part of the Fed and the FDIC in stepping in and propping up the banks. I have to say, if if the Fed had taken as long as they did during the great financial crisis, in the current wave of banking stress, we would have been in a recession now. So that you know, the Fed took about a year to get its act together in 2007. It took about five seconds this time. So, you know, we've protected the banking sector, the banking stress has gone away. You may have not have noticed, because it's, it's crept up on us, um, fiscal stimulus, the government deficit is ballooning. Now, that's not related to the current um, uh, uh, you know, standoff in Congress. What it relates to is uh, tax uh, revenue is, um, is much lower for a whole variety of factors. But fiscal stimulus is fiscal stimulus. Um, There's more money in the economy than we would have otherwise expected. And finally, I think just, you know, there's just not enough stress in the consumer sector. It's it's due to home prices, stock appreciation. But I think the fact that consumers managed, a lot of them, those that own houses, managed to lock into interest rates, mortgage rates, that are extremely low, and that has just shielded them from the impact of rising interest rates. So I think those factors have given resilience to the economy. But I would say, and so we've pushed out and moderated our recession call. We do think there'll be substantially weak growth in Q4, uh, in Q1. Um, And I have to say, you know, as an economist, um, this is, you know, the the, the sharpest rise in interest rates in 40 years. And interest rates always win in the end. Um, We might defer it, but they always win. 
And now we've got uh, an oil price hike, you know, sitting on top of that and a spike in the 10 year treasury. You know, we've moderated our, our call for recession, but we've not taken it away because, you know, feeding through from oil prices and interest rates, I think, you know, those things still will uh, pressure the economy. It's funny that you mentioned the interest rates always winning in the end, and it is obviously the dominant conversation in commercial real estate. But US inflation, I was just reading in your own report, is at 3%, which is very close to what the Fed wants, 3%. What kind of predictions are you now making in terms of the Fed's approach, would you say? Well, I think, uh, you know, you're quite right to point out um, interest. I think we're through this inflation spike, um, core inflation, uh, headline inflation, albeit a little bit um, uppity because of the oil price spike. I think we're through this period and we've managed to get through without damaging the labour market too much. Um, so... I mean, that's good news because in due course, when the Fed become convinced that we're through this and they're not yet convinced, I don't think, um, then it takes the pressure off further rate rises and gives them a reason to cut rates. But in the intermediate period, um, as inflation drops out of the system and inflation expectations drop out of the system, that means real rates, real interest rates hit harder. And, you know, uh, for, for, for real estate values, it's real interest rates. Of the, uh, you know, it's a very economics-y type of concept. But my goodness, the econometric evidence is strong. So um, real interest rates are really starting to bite, I think, from, you know, from actually very recently. Um, and I think um, we'll feel the effects over the next six months um, more than you know, more than we might have expected, given the resilience of the economy over the last nine months. So you don't think that they're going to stop raising? I think they're going to, I think they, you know, you can't take another 25 bips off the cards because I think, you know, some of the Fed people think that we, even at 3.8% unemployment, that's still too low to get, you know, base um, uh, wage rates, you know, wage growth down. Um, but wage growth is moderating. Employment costs are moderating. Um, and I think on balance 60-40 uh, that um, Fed funds rates have peaked um, and are likely to you know, stay where they are up until maybe Q2. Um, but at that point, um, the Fed will probably have over-tightened. We're moving, I think, into the zone where the, there is a bigger danger of over-tightening than not doing enough. Um, and we've, you know, for the last 18 months, the Fed hasn't done enough. Now, you know, it risks, I think, uh, over-tightening. So that's funny. You said uh, in the GFC, they, they took too long to act. This time they've acted really quickly and now they're maybe acting for too long. No, well, what I meant was um, during the GFC, it was actually uh, actions and all of these actions by the central bank, some of them are contradictory. You know, they're doing one thing at one end of the curve, one thing that's stimulatory, one thing that's contract contractionary. Um, but what I meant with regard that the Fed took a long time to really agree a set of policies that stabilised the banking system. Now, with the current banking troubles, they've had their GFC play, playbook, you know, just absolutely ready and ready to go. So they took action to stabilise the, the banking system very quickly. But in terms of control of inflation, which was a much earlier problem, um, they were very slow to deal with that. Um, and it, you know, so, uh, and are those two statements a little bit 
contradictory? Well, less, yes, they are, but this is economic policy and it's, you know, um, uh, you know the, uh, the Fed had to do some basically stabilisation and stimulation work, even while they were trying to control inflation, you know, over the last year, in order to make sure that it didn't get out of hand and collapse the banking system. Very tricky, but they, they've... I've done half well, I would say. It's, a, it's an unbelievable thing to be handling. My goodness, yes. Imagine being Jerome Powell. Um, well, you know, in the end, if I was offered that job, I'd take it. But um, <laughs> for, for an economist, it's the kind of, you know, that's if you're going to get one job in the world, you know, chairman of the, the Federal Reserve would be it. But the pressure, my goodness, um, huge. I was at an event recently and... Um, the discussion is always about interest rates. Every every kind of big meeting of real estate people is always about interest rates now. And um, the people were saying it was a hotel event. They were talking about hotel trades. And they were saying the Fed, the second the Fed eases off, this market will run. That's what the Fed wants to avoid. That's what they want to avoid. Is that an accurate summation? I think so. I, I, I think it was an accurate summation until recently. Um, there was a lot of pent-up demand for real estate and the Fed didn't want to... I mean, the, 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 the connection between demand for real estate and inflation, you know, does exist, but it's a bit tenuous. But I think the Fed wanted to both control the short end of the curve um, uh, and also the long end of the curve, and it didn't want the long end of the curve to um, ease off uh, quickly enough and... You know, then you'd have a house price boom and a, and a, a real estate boom uh, or a, a kind of surge in prices. And that would um, you know, feed through into revived uh, economic activity, which would be inflationary. Um, but I think now the situation has changed. That, that doesn't hold. I think almost they've got their wish. I don't know if they... We don't quite understand it. But I think with a 10-year Treasury at 4.6%, even if the Fed announced today that we're, we're, we're holding steady and cutting, um, I don't know that that would be enough um, to, to revive the market. Um, I think people will want to see that 10-year Treasury um, come down, come under control, or at least you know, people understand what, what are the factors that are driving it. And there's too much. I don't believe it, but I think it's a plausible enough story to keep people out of the market that this represents a step change in long-term interest rates. You know, we're moving decisively out of the low interest rate era into an era where you've got 5% 10-year treasury. Um, and, you know, um, that is got to be, you know, we'd have to have much further uh, adjustment in prices to make that an environment where people were willing to, um, to invest. And indeed, people would want to see how that um, filters out through the marketplace. You know, as I say, the 10-year Treasury has spiked. I've got some ideas why that is, but um, I don't think anybody fully understands it yet. I was just going to say that the way that I've heard it described is a regime change. Yes, yeah, so I don't believe that. I mean, if you look at the big uh, factors that drive interest rates uh, in the long term, um, it is the global supply of savings. And, um, you know, versus the demand for savings and the supply of savings is demographically driven. You know, we've seen uh, increased life expectancy and if uh, in, in the global economy 
And if people know they're going to live longer, they have to save more. And that has given us the supply, and that's not changing. Um, the demand for, for savings comes from businesses, um, and that's, you know, that's due to productivity growth. If you get a surge in productivity growth, then you will have you know, businesses wanting to invest. There's no evidence that productivity uh, growth is going to change. So I don't think fundamentally um, that big picture of oversupply of capital relative to physical investment um, has gone away. Uh, so I do think those long-term interest rates will trend back down. We don't have a regime shift. However, there are many things going on at the moment that, um, uh, you know, at the same time, for instance, um, you know, the government deficit is surging. Uh, the central bank is not buying assets anymore. It's, 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 it's quantitative tightening. So you've got a supply of government debt into the marketplace. You've got the Fed not not accommodating that. Um, you've got the Chinese selling 10-year um, you know, treasuries. So there are a lot of things going on. And, we, and you know, as much as I talk about inflation coming down, the world hasn't quite bought that argument yet. You, know, you can see it in the data, but it's not generally. Uh, and, and unemployment is still extremely low. So you know, the lack of clarity about where we go with inflation and the you know, the surge in debt relative to the demand for debt. It's all creating um, a very opaque situation in the, uh, in the Treasury market, which could be easily mistaken for a regime shift. Um, and the power of the narrative, even if it's not true, um, you know, is quite, quite big in economics. You know, for example, when we look at New York office, which is a very closely watched part of the market, We've only really seen distress in the form of maturity default so far, but term defaults, so borrowers missing a monthly payment, is starting to appear more frequently. How quickly could something like that go from you know, isolated incidents here and there to a widespread problem? Well, that's a, a, a tricky question. I think, um, again, you have to go back to what I said about the Fed supporting the banks. Um, and I think you know, the banking system is still got, I mean, it's not free access to liquidity, but um, still accessing the long-term funding program and the discount window. Uh, and I think as a corollary of that, the guidance of the regulators behind the scenes is for the banks, where they possibly can, to be extremely flexible with um, uh, borrowers who can basically pay the, you know, they might miss one interest payment, but they're basically solvent and they can pay the interest um, uh, I think the, the, the banks are going to be very, very, um, as they were during the great financial crisis, um, willing to, I mean, we call it extend and pretend, but it, it, it's, um, it's a little bit more scientific than that. It, it's, you know, ig ignore the, the value, which, as we know, values dip and then come back, and then just focus on the cash flow for a period. Um, I think that's what we're going to see. So... I think the, the, the central bank and the regulators will do uh, their level best to prevent that uh, accelerating into a crisis. Um, and I don't think it would happen that quickly. Uh, there's just, there's, even despite the rise in interest rates, still probably not enough stress in the marketplace.
The other very interesting thing that I saw in your economic report was that CB is predicting that some 250 banks are expected to fail within the next six months, which is a statistic we don't really hear that often or talk about that much, considering the historic bank run was seven months ago now. How fragile would you say the banking system is and how could that affect commercial real estate? Um, I, I, it is 250 banks. I don't think it's over the next six months. I think it will be over the course of the, I think, three or four years. Um, and most of those banks will, you know, none of them are what, what bankers called or, or regulators called systematically important financial institutions. None of them are big banks. Um, they are, you know, regional banks and smaller banks. So um, I think, uh, it, it, and they don't tend to fail. We've called it failure. They tend to get, you know, um, uh, uh, kind of regulated into another entity, you know, the part of it will get written off. So they won't completely disappear. Um, so I don't think they're a danger to the banking system um, or the economy. But the regional banks, um, you know, were quite big suppliers of credit to, com to commercial real estate. So I think they will, the fact that they're still working through their problems um, is going to be a headwind to real estate lending unless uh, the large banks and the SIFIs um, and the other financial institutions step in, which they might, but I think it's a headwind for real estate lending, so it's a constraint on capital markets activity. And one thing that we forget, I think, sometimes is these, and I'm, I'm guilty of it, that these regional banks, in some geographies, they're the only banks available. Um, so they could, you know, potentially um, be quite hard on certain communities where they disappear or they're not lending. And they don't just lend to real estate. They lend to small and medium-sized enterprises and 50% of Americans work in those small and medium-sized enterprises. So um, I think not a, a danger to the economy, but a headwind for real estate and a big danger to certain local economies. You believe that there's some evidence that cap rates are starting to peak in the US. What, what's giving you that impression and what could that mean for investment sales across the country, which has obviously been pretty frozen for some time now? I mean, I think the, the evidence uh, was really nothing more than observing that the, the trend in the chart, you know, the rate of increase was decreasing. Um, and that, you know, that is a classic cycle that you're at the top. Um, uh, that you've plateaued out. Um, I would say as well, I think a little bit more analytically, when we look at the, you know, as we've rolled through this crisis and we've had the value reduction, um, and then you're obviously factoring, you know, more quarters of recovery into the, the back end of the period, the, the IRRs on a five-year hold have gone up. And I would say we've come to a period where um, the, the five-year IRRs are um, pretty much just you know, about the same as cost of capital, maybe a little more than cost of capital. And um, you know, that means that investors can, you know, the aggressive investors can deploy capital um, and still you know, earn, a, earn a return. Leverage is mildly accretive maybe in in certain sectors if you look at a five-year IRR. Now, um, IRR investing is, you know, technically what you should do. 
Um, but uh, it involves making assumptions about rental growth and capital value increase, and not everybody wants to do that at a time of uncertainty. Um, if you, but it tends to be a, a break. You know, when those IRRs come into line with cost of capital, then there's no further reason for cap, uh, capital values to fall. I would say, in, in mild contradiction to that, if you look at cost of capital relative to yield, um, leverage is not accretive yet. Um, but uh, if, you, if you factor in the, uh, the rental growth, and so just eyeballing the data and having a look at the an analytics, we, we're coming into a period where I think you know, people who have historically invested at this type of situation, in the, uh, you know, um, period in, in capital markets, have actually reaped the best returns. Um, so that's what gives me optimism that the cap rates have, have begun to stabilise. Uh, I would say that the, you know, the recent spike in the Treasury, um, albeit maybe for temporary factors, um, you know, would, would, would argue against that at least for the next six months. Staying on real estate but shifting just to asset classes, you've pegged retail vacancy in the US at under 5%, which I thought was incredibly low. Mm -hmm. What's driven that shrink, and, and how did that how does it compare to other years? I mean, it, it's it's the one sector that hasn't reacted negatively to um, you know the shock in interest rates, um, and uh, real estate vacancy has come down, um, probably even since two thousand and nineteen. What's underpinned it? Well, we haven't built any retail space in fifteen years, so um, actually there is a a shortage of grade A space. I would put on top of that um, the fact that uh, retailers, I mean, they, a lot of them suffered quite badly during COVID, um, went into administration, but came out with stronger balance sheets. I mean, the whole of the retail sector has really got its act together on a omni-channel type strategy. It's very odd now to find a retailer that can't, if they don't have the stock, can't deliver it to your house in a day or so. So I think, you know, the sector as a whole has fundamentally improved. There's not a, a lot of grade A space. In fact, you know, our brokers report a shortage. And of course, consumer spending has remained strong. That's one of the, the key resilient factors um, in, in the economy. So I think all of those factors um, as well as other interesting things like uh, people not working in offices quite as much. I think that's given a permanent shift of income from downtown areas into suburban retail. So suburban, grocery-anchored retail, um, absolutely doing very well because it, 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 it's, um, it's got that diversion of income. Um, and it's also you know, relevant to people. They shop they shop where they live rather than, um, you know, on a round trip to the office nowadays. Lots of things going on in retail, but, but, but a, a pretty positive sector. What a turnaround that is from uh, 2015. <laughs> uh, absolutely is. And, and that, that headwind from um, e-commerce has not gone away. Uh, but if you don't build any space for 15 years, um, then... You know, people still need retail bricks facilities um, and quite often prefer to shop there um, if they can. 
Lastly, you're the, the head of CBRE's Global Economics, and the movement of investment across borders in this environment has been really fascinating, um, with not just so much geopolitical tension with Russia-Ukraine war, but also high inflation worldwide, um, the climate crisis, um, the seeming impending collapse of the Chinese property sector. How's all this turmoil affecting commercial real estate and, and the investment that happens within it? I mean, you know, cross-border capital flows have, have, I wouldn't say dried up, but they've very substantially reduced. Um, you know, I think people first invest at home and then when they're confident of the environment, um, they're confident of growth, cost of capital is, is, uh, is accretive, um, then people go overseas and we're, we're not in that situation. Um, so, you know, uh, that cross-border capital is, is, is markedly reduced. Um, and in particular, I think one of the big flows of capital that we'd seen in recent years, which was American capital into Europe, um, you know, has substantially slowed down. Um, but I think foreigner capital back into the US also slowed down. Apart from, we have noticed in the last quarter, um, you know, some substantive Asian investment um, into the United States. Maybe Asian investors, it is a capital surplus uh, part of the world. Maybe sensing, despite the, the you know, the, the, the high dollar um, and the hedging costs, Nevertheless, you know, a generational opportunity to secure that the assets that they need to, you know, create the pension funds that they need to support their population going forward. So we have seen some Asian capital into the States, but um, it, it is uh, very generally um, subdued uh, levels of activity. And um, you know, we, we're forecasting um, a little bit of a revival in capital markets activity next year. Um, but I think that will be led by the domestic investors rather than the cross-border investors. That's Richard Barkham. He's the Global Chief Economist and Global Head of Research at Brokerage CBRE. There are plenty of other stories on our website and we actually have a very popular piece about the next crop of real estate professionals who are choosing to enter the industry despite a downturn. It has an interview with a young woman who was the only one in her nearly 50-person class to go into office brokerage. I'll leave a link to that story in our show notes. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening.